This edition of Eternal Leadership has been brought to you by Marketplace Rock, guiding leaders to higher ground through intercessory prayer. Learn more at MarketplaceRock.com. Faith is the one choice that is all about how do you respond to failure? How do you respond to setbacks? How do you respond to tragedy? And uh, Take the Stairs Ultra Performer realizes that, look, even though in this moment something bad has happened, it's choosing to believe that what is happening now is somehow for a greater good later on. Welcome to Eternal Leadership, a show dedicated to equipping and inspiring leaders to accomplish what God has created in them. I'm Steve Ryder, and that was today's guest, Rory Vaden. The response that we got from our last interview with Rory was so strong that we felt it important for us to bring him back. Now, Rory is the author of such books as Procrastinate on Purpose, the book we focused on last time, and Take the Stairs, Seven Steps to Achieving True Success, the book that we spend a lot of time talking about today. So here's how my partner, John Ramstead, got this conversation started on this edition of Eternal Leadership. Today on the Eternal Leadership Podcast, we welcome back one of my favorite guests, Rory Vaden. Rory, how are you? I'm good, John. Thank you for having me. So good to have you back. And I got to tell you, when you were on, it was, if everybody remembers, because we got so much great feedback, it's episode 29, eternalleadership.com forward slash 29. You can go back and listen to that if you hadn't had the pleasure to do it yet. Um, and Rory, uh, if people, if you don't know Rory, uh, he just has this incredible heart. He's written two best-selling books on Take the Stairs and Procrastinate on Purpose. And uh, Roy, you've been in what? CNN, Time, Fox News, Fortune, Inc., Wall Street Journal, number one best-selling author. I can go on and on, but here's why, here's why I think that's important. The work that you've done and the message that you've created, and it's really from not only your life experience, but working with thousands and thousands of hours with real people, with your own clients in your own life, you've come up with these principles and these concepts that really yield the results that, that are really helpful to people. So I really, uh, really commend just the, the work, the diligence and what you've applied your life to. Uh, because what I, what our audience and what I love about you, Rory, it's all about serving other people forward. And I, there's very few examples I know in my life of people that do that as well as you do. So, uh, you know, for, for people yeah. that don't know you, I, maybe just say a few words just about kind of your, your background and kind of what's brought you to this point in your life. And then I want to jump in and really talk about uh, our audience. We just did a, a, a listener and reader survey for our the podcast and our blog and we just got some phenomenal feedback, and I'd really love to tie this conversation into some of the biggest needs that everybody out there listening has told us that's kind of first and foremost in, in their lives. So it's going to be a great show. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm excited to be here. I, I, this is our 10-year anniversary at Southwestern Consulting, and it's pretty wild that 10 years ago, I was 23 years old, and we started this business with four people. And this year, we have 115 uh, full-time team members as part of our team. Wow. And we have uh, grown to be an eight-figure business. And, um, the you know, you talk about serving other people. One of the things we were just looking at the stats was how many of our consultants and coaches are making six figures. That was my number one goal in 2015 was a certain number of our consultants to make over six figures and that has just been a really inspiring thing and uh, I, I think it's 
it is so cool. We, we say around Southwestern a lot that it is hard to be nervous when your heart's on service. Mm. And that's a that great perspective. When, yeah, it's actually going to be that, uh, you know, um, anybody who's ever read Take the Stairs knows that the sort of signature line, success is never owned, it's rented, and the rent is due every day. That yeah. was like the catchphrase for that. It's hard to be nervous when your heart's on service is going to probably be the signature line of the next book that we're working, we're working on right now, which will not be out probably for two years because uh, Pop <laughs> just came out. So we're still focused on that. But the, you know, this idea of, I only, fear is so self-centered and I only am scared. I'm only nervous. I only am reluctant. I only feel inadequate when I'm thinking about me. But when I am focused on just using my talents and, and asking God to work through me and, and use whatever platform I have or whatever tools. And when we do that, all that fear goes away and all the, the expectations go away and the pressure of all the emails and the, the, the busy work. And you just go, look, I'm here to do my best to serve other people. And out, out of that, you know, I think is, so that's what I've been really focused on. That's not so much, I guess, my backstory. I, I think that's less of who I've been in the past, honestly. I think I've been, I've been much more self-centered and much more, um, not necessarily in a bad way, but just more, not like, uh, not selfish, but more self-centered, more of the world revolves around me and my goals and things. Um, and it is one of the great, it's one of the great blessings, honestly, John, of um, when, when Take the Stairs came out, which was three years ago, um, I remember, you know, when we hit the, the New York Times bestseller list, that was like the ultimate, like long life goal there was a, it was really exciting. And there was also a really cool thing that happened that I didn't expect. And I don't really talk about it much. Um, but that was the day that like me pursuing Rory Vaden's goals, like for him really died. Um, why do you say that? It just, it, you know, up until that point, my life had been a series of picking these big, huge, seemingly impossible goals. Mm. Um, you know, when I, um, when I was five years old, I started doing martial arts and I wanted to be a black belt. Right. And I was like, karate kid was like the big thing. And teenage mutant Ninja turtles was like the big thing. And, and so that was my goal. And then that happened. And, and then my mom always told me I I was going to go to college one day, but she was never going to pay for it. So I had to get a full ride scholarship. Um, so I was like, well, I'll be valid. I'm going to be valedictorian. And, and that happened. And then we got a full ride scholarship to the university of Denver. And then I sold books door to door, 14 hours a day, six days a week for five summers for, uh, this company called Southwestern advantage when I was in college. And, um, you know, that, uh, they had this thing where you could make like $50,000 a summer. And I did that. And, and then I did Toastmasters and did the world championship of public speaking. And that was like, I remember the day God put that on my heart, like, this is what you're supposed to do. This is your next step, the world championship. And I was 22 years old and I was like, what, I, how, why would I do that? Like, what, what chance do I have at, at doing this thing? And, and then Southwestern Consulting. And then, so, and, and so those were all good things. I think they were all good God-given things. I'm certainly grateful, grateful for all of those things. Um, and they've shaped me in a lot, but there was something about, and, and, and maybe this is reason in and of itself to pick a goal to you that really matters. 
Um, because at some point when you, you do that one thing that seems so impossible and you finally check that list off your list and you realize that really God can do anything through you. There's nothing that is too big for him. There's no other person on this planet that is any different from you. And if you're a believer, you have an advantage. You have the God of the universe working in your favor. And when you put the work ethic into doing that and it happens, there, uh, you know, at least for me, the experience was uh, I can really focus and not, I can talk to somebody and not be interested in what can they do for me. I can really be genuinely interested in what can I do for them. And uh, so I don't know, it's a weird thing. It's like this weird dichotomy of like, this selfishness that died, but this uh, level of success that you achieve that's really healthy, um, but also with like a maturity, I guess, of getting to this place where you really, really genuinely are there because you don't need something from the other person. Mm-hmm. And um, that's, a, that's a fairly recent thing. And that's, that's more the person I want to be. And that's more the person that I ask God to be. And um, so anyways, I don't well, know how you know, we just the point I'm got- thinking about too, is, uh, just having known you is, you know, some of those big goals and, and that you had put out there for yourself, you did not achieve them. Well, and, yeah, that's a like, good point. Like you didn't achieve becoming number one world's best speaker. Yeah. The world champion of public world speaking. champion. And, but it is that the work and the effort and the focus that went into that, not achieving that, which was, I, I think very, very hard in that moment. Not to get to that top, although you were you did very well. But that well, I came is, in. What's I that? came in. I came in second in the world. <laughs> so it was that was a whole journey of like, why second? Like, how come God would lead me on this path that I would come in second? What's that all about? But yeah. But what did that do for you? That led you into writing. That led you into creating this book. That led you into the whole next season of your life. And because, so I'd love to circle this back because you know we got this amazing feedback. And thank you, everybody, for being so generous with your comments and your thoughts. And here's the three themes that came out of the feedback from our audience. And the first one really is purpose and calling. Well, you know, what should I be doing, right? And I know you've gone through this in different seasons, and it's it's always been evolving. And I think the action that you've always put into what's right in front of you has kind of led it led to the clarity. And I think people get that backwards. They're looking for clarity before they move into action. Uh, the other area is that they really want to be doing meaningful work. They wanted to make an impact. They want to be running a better, uh, you know, company, a better business. And you address both of these concepts so well in both of your books. But I'd love to just start out and thought, you know, if our, our audience are, you know, they're business owners, they're entrepreneurs, they're typically, you know, uh, uh, 40 to 50 years old, but we have a, a number of folks on both sides of that. And they're really trying to figure out kind of like what, you, what you're doing, uh, this journey that you're on, what I should really be doing right now that really brings my strengths, my passion, my values, my heart to bear. You know, what would you share with them? Maybe what's one of the hardest points in your life you've been at where you've really had to struggle with, you know, what, what's tomorrow? What's next? Well, the the story about the world championship is a good one because that there's nothing that is ever more of an example in my life where I have fully thrown myself in an all-consuming way and just blind, a completely abandoned faith in the direction of something I felt God calling me to do, pursue this world championship, and then it not turning out the way that I thought it very clearly was supposed to. And um, 
and take the stairs, that's the perspective principle of faith. And we talk about our ability to have faith is directly proportionate to the term of our perspective. So when we are frustrated, when we are upset, when we're scared, when we're lonely, when we're mad, um, when we're overwhelmed, it's always proof that we have lost perspective. We're thinking about this, that moment. Um, So when you think longer term, you realize that many times the things, the worst things that happen to us are the things that best prepare us for the future. And to what you were saying, John, if, if I had won, if I had come in first place, right, if I would probably have started a business teaching people how to be speakers, which means there, there's probably no take the stairs. There's probably not a procrastinate on purpose. There may not be Southwestern consulting or it may not be what it is today or it would be a lot different. Um, and so faith, it's, it's in Take the Stairs, the book is the seven choices of a, of a disciplined life, basically, these seven choices that people make that most people don't. Um, faith, the perspective principle of faith is the hardest choice because all the other six strategies in Take the Stairs are all things you do proactively to achieve success, right? The metaphor of Take the Stairs is doing the thing you know you should be doing even when you don't feel like doing it. But faith is the one choice that is all about how do you respond to failure? How do you respond to setbacks? How do you respond to tragedy? And uh, take the stairs ultra performer realizes that, look, even though in this moment something bad has happened, it's choosing to believe that what is happening now is somehow for a greater good later on. And that choice is a take the stairs choice. It's an unpopular choice, an uncomfortable choice, an unnatural choice. But that choice frees you up um, from being shackled by the past and being somehow shackled by failure to realize it's really just preparing you. So I think that is a big part of, of you know, if you've had some sort of setback in your life. Uh, the, the, the example that I often use is if, if you had a flat tire today, you know, if you're driving down the road and, and then boom, like all of a sudden just flat tire. Well, tonight at dinner, if somebody asked you how was your day, you'd probably tell them about the flat tire. Um, and you might say, oh, it was terrible. I had this flat tire and I was stranded on the side of the road and I had to call a tow truck and the guy to come, he's taking for all, all my money. And, but, um, you know, at the end of your life, when somebody asks you, tell me about your life, you probably would never tell them about the flat tire. Um, it wouldn't even, you would have forgotten. Two weeks later, you would have completely forgotten about the flat tire. That's because uh, any challenge in relation to today is a big challenge. But any challenge in relation to our lifespan is a small challenge. And then any challenge in relation to eternity is, is no challenge at all. But the only difference there is perspective, and that's a choice. Is you have that is choosing to believe that what's happening now is for a greater glory later on. So I think with take the stairs, that was a real defining moment for me losing at the world championship. Um, in relation to this other stuff about work life balance, I mean, that's I think that's a you know we can dive into that. There's a whole there's a whole body of a whole lot to cover there. Yeah, there is. And I love what you're saying. And I want to circle back a little bit because, you know, you use words, you know, about what's going to happen in the future. What are the results I'm going to get with my life? Having faith. And, uh, you know, there was a a man who went up to Mother Teresa and had met her uh, in India and asked her to pray for clarity for him for what he should be doing. 
And she said that she would not pray for clarity and that she has never prayed for clarity. But what she'll pray for him for is trust, that he will trust God. Mm. And that, that's what you're talking about. If we can trust God in the moment, and it's also about shifting perspective. You said, you know, at one point it was kind of all about you and about Rory. And I can t- <laughs> I could totally relate to that. Way, and I did it much longer than you did. Uh, but like, I'll never forget recently I had to have, you know, after my accident, my entire shoulder was just shattered. So the whole thing got reconstructed and, uh, I was in the recovery room and I was, I was miserable, but there was somebody there. It was a nurse. I had this conversation, uh, with the nurse and this doctor and what that led to a follow-up conversation where I had the opportunity to sow into their life and disciple and mentor them. I could have been totally focused on the fact how miserable I was and what I had just gone through. And this was going to be two months of pain because this was like four surgeries in one, what they had to do for my my shoulder. But it's all about your perspective. And I think understanding that you do have unique value. And if you're tapped into that in every moment in what you're talking about, right? Uh, what do you say? There's... Um, it's hard to be nervous when your heart's on service. Mm-hmm. That really struck me because if you are focused on others and you're focused on serving others, if you're having a bad day or a bad moment or you blow out your tire, you start looking for how can I have an opportunity to serve others. And I would love. There's a question that I've been uh, just uh, thinking about. Uh, I'm sure the audience can relate to this in working with sales organizations with your own team trying to get. I'm sure there's definitely a difference in the mindset and and how people do things between your high performers, even inside of Southwestern, and the other folks that are trying to get there. And this is that's that concept of fear. You know, their self is kind of getting in the way. They're being self-focused, and that that starts to hold them back. What are just a few of your thoughts on how do you shift from almost that that place of fear, which comes from self? to that place of service, which just opens up potential and value for the people that you get to work with and really transforms uh, what we're bringing out into the world. Well, I think uh, it's the whole service-minded attitude is a huge part of that. But specifically, I think the faith plays a huge huge role in that because fear is a result of self-centeredness, right? It's, It's because I'm in control. If this fails, it's my fault. Whereas faith is saying, I am going to do everything in my power. And that's a part of this. You have to take that action because if you don't, then if you don't, if you don't do everything in your power and then things don't work out, you don't know if it's because that was God's plan or because of a, of a more likely truth that you didn't show up and you didn't put in the work, you didn't fight, you didn't do your job, you didn't use the tools and the talents that he gave you. But If you do every single thing in your power, if you're doing your dead level best, if you're giving everything you have towards a direction and then it doesn't work out, which was the case of the world championship for me, then you, you sit back and you realize, you go, so wait a minute, God of the universe is strong enough to do anything he wants. If he wanted me to win, he could have had me win. Right? Like it's a matter of a couple subjective scores on a scorecard. He could have had me win. Yeah, he brought Lazarus back. He could have he could have hooked you up there at the right. championship. He, he could have given me the tall trophy. <laughs> uh, um, but if he didn't, then that means he is for some he has some reason why that didn't happen. Thy will be done. 
thy will be done. Like what you're saying about with Mother Teresa, it's not, it's not praying for me to win the world championship. That is treating God like he's a cosmic vending machine. Right. Um, now, you know, the Bible says, ask for what you want and, it, you know, ask and it will be given to you and knock and the door shall be open and all that kind of stuff. And I think it is the pleasure of our father to give us the, the desires of our hearts. But ultimately, it's not just asking him to give us stuff. It's, it's us giving him our trust and saying, thy will be done. And the, that plays off because when you decide you are going to be, you're going to have that faith, then you take full committed, unwavering uh, uh, action. And you trust that one of two things that happen. Either it's going to be work out, it's going to be this huge success, or it's not going to work out the way you thought, and it's because God is preparing you for something better. And if you, But if you don't do your best, if you don't put in the work, then you never have that payoff. So when it comes to dealing with fear, faith, faith is the the ultimate veto over fear because you realize there's nothing to be afraid of. Either this amazing thing that I can see is going to happen or something else will happen, which will be God preparing me. And, and, and that's what I found to be true. You know, like those failures, those heartbreaks, those tragedies. I mean, John, you're a great example of it. I mean, you go through that, that whole episode with the horse and just in a split second, right? Your life changes. And you go, why me? Why, like, why did this happen? What did I do to deserve this? And yet God has transformed that whole thing into completely repurposing your entire life in the direction of helping other people. Completely. And so it, it's, I, I had a, there was a pastor one time I heard, um, I was in North Carolina just traveling and I happened to stop by this random church. And I remember him saying this. He said, heaven is a bunch of people walking around going, oh, now I see why that happened. Oh, now that makes sense. <laughs> you know what? I would have done, I would have made the same call there, you know? And now it, it all makes sense. But, but less the ability to see the entire future, we aren't entitled to evaluate the reasons why bad things happen today. No. Because we can't, we don't see the, we don't have the benefit of seeing that picture, but God does. But a person of faith chooses it's a take the stairs choice. It's a hard choice. It is difficult, but they choose to say, I trust you, God. And when they make that choice, then they can continue on in the face of fear or in the face of setbacks or in the face of unexplained tragedy or, or whatever. So, and well, and what I've come to realize, I think God created us with free will. And I think that is something that he values deeply and he so honors that. That's why he says, you know, ask. He wants us to ask and present what's in our heart up to him. And it doesn't mean he's going to say yes. But here's how I, I see my, you know, when I, at my accident, when it happened, when God spoke to me, he said, he quoted Romans eight twenty eight to me, all things work together for good for those that love the Lord. And I got to tell you, for two years, I could not connect the dots on that one because what I went through was so challenging. But... um when when we're thinking about calling purpose identity, uh, what I would really encourage people to do is you know just get in touch with who you are. Your your you know what what gets you excited? What are your spiritual gifts? What are your passions? What are your strengths? Where do you come alive? And see where that's showing up in your life. And if it's not, you might need to be doing something else. 
like you were all in with what you did with speaking. But I'll guarantee you, if we look back and pull a thread about who you are, the value you bring out into the world, what's important to you, where you get excited, uh, there's this continuum all the way through what you've been doing. And I think that's important for people. So so let's let's uh, once people have some clarity or they're moving forward, they're getting into motion, there's definitely a lot of people because we're all busy, definitely come, came up a lot in our reader survey people with kids in sports and the marriages and they're involved in charities and they're working crazy hours in business and they're they're traveling and I know exactly what that's like that used to be my life before the accident now all of a sudden here's a here, a man who's used to being able to outwork everybody around him and I can only work 20 hours a week and mm-hmm. now I'm tasked because my wife can't go back to work she was a physical therapist so she has to retake the medical boards which she just passed. It took her a year and a half of study to do it. But I, I had to support my family financially on 20 hours a week. And I'm holding up this book. If, if you guys can see this, Procrastinate on Purpose. I first got introduced to Rory and, and your mother, who's just an absolute delight, sent me a copy of this book. And I read it. And I have implemented what's in this book into my life. And I would tell everybody right now firsthand on 20 hours a week, um, I feel as effective as I will, actually more effective, more balanced, more joy in my life than I did prior to the accident working crazy hours. And I would love to dive in here because I think it's this concept that you address head on in this book, why people are so stuck. I think there's a, what take the stairs is about self-discipline. And if you mm-hmm. understand kind of that calling and purpose, there's a subtle shift that honestly self-discipline is not a hard habit to implement. So if that does not ring true with you, go read that book, trust me. But I would love to dive in here. So think about it. the busy business owner, entrepreneur, people out there right now, they're married, they have kids. You know what it's like. Uh that that you know, that's your life when you wrote this book. I love the story of how this came about. What would you share then? What are some of the key principles that are in here? I have some that I'd like to pull out because we only have about, you know, 10 minutes left before you have to run. So what would you love to just share with people right now? Well, I, I'll, I'll share the whole premise of the book because, yeah. uh, you know, the book is not really about procrastination. Take the stairs is all about overcoming procrastination. Yeah. And this you, is you, about creating time. Yeah. The subtitle is really what the book is, the five permissions to multiply time. Um, and we don't have a ton of time here, but if you go watch, if you just search uh, how to multiply time that I did a TED talk on it. So you can 18 minutes, you know, that'd give you like the full synopsis and then you could decide. Yeah, that was very good, by the way. Kudos on that. I'll post that in this post anyway. So people listening, if you come to the Rory Vane's episode, the video on that TED Talk will be there. Yeah, that'd be great. Um, So the the book is about how to multiply time. And people say, well, how is that even possible? And you go, well, that isn't that that sounds like an exaggeration or like a superlative or whatever. And that's like, no, we mean literally. And and the it is true that there's nothing that any of us can do to create more time inside of the construct of one day. We all have the same twenty four hours, fourteen hundred and forty minutes or eighty six thousand four hundred seconds. But that's exactly the problem, is most of us live our life only making two calculations, the the urgency and the importance calculation. Urgency is how soon does it matter and importance is how much does it matter. And so we wake up every single day and we say, what is the most important thing I have to do today? And what we find today 
more than ever before in history is there's more to do than you can ever possibly do. Even if you were awake 24 hours and you worked the entire 24 hours, you have a to-do list of possible things you could do that would be, be hundreds of, maybe thousands of items. I bet everybody and, listening right now, because I am too, even even with implementing all this, sometimes I do feel like there's there's more than I could possibly do today and I can't get it all done and I'm going to bed stressed. So, and now here's the thing. What we do is we default to saying, all right, so I have maybe two hours available to really work. Like if I'm not sleeping, I'm not you know, eating, getting ready and taking care of the kids, cleaning the house, or I'm not in meetings, you know, I might have two hours, maybe four hours. I mean, gosh, if I can get four hours in a day to sit and work on stuff, that's just for me, I'm just like, oh, that's so With no precious. distractions? With no distractions. It's so hard to do. It's so precious. So, so let's say you have it. Well, what we do is we go, all right, I have 100 things I could do. I got two hours. And our default is to go, well, these are the 20 things I could get done. And so we default to choosing the things that we can get done the fastest, which generally are the most trivial things. But our brain, neurologically, we are programmed that we get a hit, a shot of dopamine every time we complete an item on our to-do list. Uh, It's why if you've ever done this, I'm sure some of you are like me and you have, where you complete a task that wasn't on your to-do list and then you add it to your to-do list just so you can cross it off. Yeah, guilty. You You get that little hit of dopamine. You feel good. Multipliers don't do that. Multipliers don't think that way. The next generation like achieving the next level of results in your life requires the next level of thinking. And over the last three years, we identified this group of people that we call multipliers. And we noticed the way that they think different about time is completely different from everybody else. While most people live in a paradigm of one day and only make the urgency and the importance calculation, multipliers make what we call the significance calculation. And the significance calculation is different because why urgency says, how soon does this matter? Importance is how much does this matter? But significance is how long is this going to matter? In other words, how is this going to play out over tomorrow and the next day and the next day? And the significance calculation changes everything because instead of trying to get everything that you have to get done in one day, today, trying to cram in as much as possible, you instead start to think the way a multiplier thinks, which is how can I use my time in a way today that makes tomorrow better? And so in one sentence, the way that you multiply time, and this is the premise of the entire book, you multiply time by giving yourself the emotional permission to invest time into things today that create more time tomorrow. You spend time on things today that give you more time tomorrow. You give yourself the permission because instead of doing 20 tasks out of your 100, you might only do one. That's where the permission comes in. You say, I'm going to forego my hit of my 20 hits of dopamine so that I can instead focus on the one significant thing. And how do I know it's significant? Because it's the thing that creates more time or more results tomorrow. So I will intentionally procrastinate on purpose all of the other stuff, right? So that I can give myself permission to invest in the significant things, the things that create more time tomorrow. Than we have today. Um, and can I can I give an example of that? 
Sure. Because I, I read the, you know, as I read the book and I was working with one of my clients and I was sharing that exact concept with him and we're looking at this calendar, talking about multiplying time. And this was a hard decision for him, but there was a report that used to take him about 90 minutes every week to put together and he knew all the pieces and components and knew exactly how he wanted to get it done. And the thought of taking an hour or two every week to equip somebody else on the team to do that report for him, because this is this was not a good use of his time. So, uh, you know, and I used your ratio, if 30x rule. So I shared that with him uh-huh. and he decided to go ahead and do that. And now he's done that with almost everything in his calendar. His team is so equipped and so much more productive. We just thought we've been working together for a year. What I'd like to share with you is he is freed up by equipping others on his staff 10 hours a week. And he was yeah. working 50 hours a week. He has 20% more time. He feels like he has a new lease on life. He's spending, he's being way more productive. The business has doubled. Uh, he has more time with his kids and his children. And his employees feel valued. They feel empowered. They feel like they were taught new skills. Mm-hmm. And they know that they're being they're serving the business owner in a way that's much more important. So that one little concept applied in a real situation just had uh, really what I almost saw as unintended consequences that were all very positive in all these different areas. So I would tell people, take that 30x rule and look at how you could start. Because when you mean by 30x, it might take you, if it takes me an hour to do a report, it's worth equipping somebody else to do that report, even if it takes you 30 hours to, to train, train somebody to, or whatever that process is, correct? Yeah, yeah. That's what the, the 30x rule is, is suggests you should spend 30 times the amount of time it takes you to do the task once on training someone else to do the task. Um and 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 so this it's a little bit weird at first because let's say it's a task that only takes you five minutes and you do it every day it takes you five minutes the 30x rule suggests you should spend 150 minutes training someone to do that task and this is where i lose people because they go roy that's the stupidest thing i've ever heard why (laughs) would i spend 150 minutes two and a half hours training somebody to do a task that i could do myself in five minutes and the answer is you wouldn't. You never would. It would never make sense unless you make the significance calculation. When you make the significance calculation, you go, let's look at it for just a year. If you spend five minutes a day on that task, there's 250 working days in a year. That means over the course of just one year, you're going to spend 1,250 minutes on that task. So now- That's 20 hours. That, that Yeah. And the answer- is just as obvious, but it's the complete opposite. Because now you're not saying, should I spend 150 minutes on a task that takes me five? Now you're saying, should I spend 150 minutes on a task that's, that takes me 1,250? So it's just as obvious, but it's completely opposite. It's, it, it's, it's the way multipliers think differently from everyone else. It's the same way that rich people think. It's why the rich get richer. In fact, the way that rich people think about money is the same exact way that multipliers think about time. They think about it based on the significance calculation. They factor in compounding interest. They factor in the, the long term. And things like delegation and automation, you know, automation is to your time what compounding interest is to your money. Mm. Um, delegation is almost is basically to your time what compounding interest is your money because you're training somebody else and then that person or that system is is doing the task for you. And there is there's also if you go to uh, procrastinateonpurpose.com, 
there is a one-hour webinar where you can see the focus funnel. I walk you through all the five permissions. That's just out there. It's free. Um, so if you just go to procrastinateonpurpose.com, you can you know get you know, see the full thing. Yeah, and I, I love that. And the you know the five areas are eliminate, automate, which you just talked about, delegate, procrastinate, and then concentrate. And what I would tell people taking that Rory and applying it at what I'm doing with our coaching business, the podcast, and everything else that's going on in my life, the results have been you know, you know, log, logmarithic exponential. So I, I just want to thank you as a friend. And, you know, um, also, cause you shared with me before we got started on the automation area, one thing that I think has really facilitated the growth you guys have had at, at Southwestern Consulting is that automation. And you're putting together the, uh, really kind of a new business unit, a consulting area called the automated revenue machine. Mm-hmm. But I got to tell you, there's so much in business that can be automated. We're going to have a link to that in the show notes, but guys, go check it out. Uh, it's something uh, I'm going to be working with Rory's team on this to actually even create higher levels of automation in our business so that I can multiply my time and have a bigger impact and serve everybody out there that's even you know, a higher level of value. Um, so you know, as we wrap up here, we just have a few minutes left. Rory, what, what just final thoughts would you like to leave with everybody? Yeah, well, I uh, I really appreciate you having me here, John. I, I have a big heart for what the work you're doing here. And I my work is decidedly secular. We consider one of our mission statements to be an undercover agent for God. And so I don't always get to talk about my faith, and I love the opportunities that I do. Um, other than that, I'm usually planting seeds. Um, mm-hmm. hit, I'm planting subtle hints uh, out there in the true business, business, business world. Um, but... I I would just, you know, I would encourage you. It's it's a funny thing because I didn't realize this till after I wrote the book. But you know, where after you write the book, you got to go through and edit it and then you got to do acknowledgments and you got to get testimonials for the back and all this stuff and then you go to do this dedication and and I was looking everything that I write is supported by Bible verses. They're just not shared in the manuscript because I'm a business publisher, you know, my publisher is a business publisher and uh stuff like that, but um People probably don't realize this, but in Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, God delivers his first command to all of humanity. Um, He just created God in his image, and it's the first time he ever speaks to us. And what is the very first thing that God says? Is it, thou shall have no other gods before me? No, that's not it. That comes later, the Ten Commandments. Is it, "Love love thy neighbor as thyself? No, that that's that's not it. God's first command to all of humanity: be fruitful and multiply. So, as a believer, you have a supernatural Holy Spirit living inside of you. Your ability to multiply is stronger than anybody else's. So, I would encourage you to use your influence. Use whatever tools you have, whatever your platform is, whatever your family is or your business, and use it to go out and multiply on the things that are really significant. Roy, thank you so much. And, you know, the just I think this so addresses everything that our audience has been looking for, right? Just, you know, how to move forward into what you're passionate about and be all in on that. You know, don't get stuck. If you feel like you're you're stuck in areas of your life, there are tools, there are resources, there are people to help you. Uh, we had Lloyd Rebon from the Halftime Institute, and uh, one of his, I asked him, what are the biggest reasons that people don't do what we're talking about successfully? 
They don't take the time to just step back, like you said, find time to actually change how they're thinking and how they're doing things. And I think that'd be the biggest challenge I would come out with today is, you know what? Look at where you're at right now and are you really getting the results that you that you want to get? And if, there, and if there are, we applaud you and we want to have your story on here. And if they're not, we still want to have your story on here because we love people right in the messy middle. But I'll guarantee you, if you're not getting the results, there's things that you, that are in your control that you can change. And what's going to be happening in your life two, three, four, five years from now and the lives that you get to touch, like you talked about in heaven, people showing you, oh, that makes sense. That makes sense. I did this and this ripple touched thousands and millions um, it's, it's, it's right there in front of you and it's not as far and as obscured as some people might think it is. So Roy, thank you so much for your time today. It's my pleasure, John. Always good to be here. Take you, care, my friend. You too. If you'd like to learn more about Rory, his books, his podcast, just go to eternalleadership.com slash 109. That's eternalleadership.com slash 109. As I said at the top, this edition of Eternal Leadership has been brought to you by Marketplace Rock. Is there something that feels like it's blocking your business? The team at Marketplace Rock partners with you in unearthing those things that could be holding you back through intercessory prayer. John and I can't recommend the team at Marketplace Rock highly enough. In fact, our phone calls with them are the highlight of our week. Visit them online, marketplacerock.com, or listen to either of Amy Everett's past interviews with us, episodes 4 and 66, marketplacerock.com. Next time on Eternal Leadership, Pastor Stephen Furtick. One of my church members was beating up on himself one day because he makes money, does well, he's a leader, he's successful. And his question to me was, what does it feel like to know you're really making a difference? Mm. I said, what do you mean, man? He said, well, you touch people's lives directly. What I do, I make money, I this, I that. And he had classified his sphere of service as being smaller than mine. What I was able to do for him, though, and it only took about three minutes, all I had to do was help him open his eyes to the opportunities all around him. And I started to get him to reevaluate what was in his circle. For John Ramstead, I'm Steve Ryder, and thank you for listening to Eternal Leadership.